Good morning, Orangewood. As you all find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, as we continue our sermon series in this amazing book, the beginning of the Bible, uh, called Beginnings. How's everybody this morning? Isn't it awesome being together uh, again in the Lord's name? Isn't it wonderful to know we have a God who loves us, a God who's for us, a God who loves to rescue the lost, to mend the broken, to bring comfort to the afflicted, and it's always good to be reminded of that reality. So whoever you are, however you got here, whatever's going on in your life, welcome. It's great to have you. My hope and prayer is that God is going to speak to each one of our hearts to show up with such power in his glorious presence where two or more are gathered that we are going to uh, experience uh, his presence and be blessed because of it. Sibling rivalries. Sibling rivalries. We're going to see today the very first two, uh, the first two sons that are born, Cain and Abel, uh, that they will begin what will be a battle that continues, parents, right, of sibling rivalry. Is it still present today, parents? Is there still a bit of a rivalry sometime between your children? I hear an amen. I see that hand. Well, I know for me, I, I grew up, I was the youngest of three. Uh, I, I think my parents might have stopped with perfection. I don't know. Um, but... I have an older sister who's seven years older than I am, and, and she and I have always had a very good relationship. She's wonderful. She's godly. She was nurturing, kind of like that firstborn oldest girl often is, like second mama, which was great. Uh, I have also an older brother, four years uh, my senior, and things weren't always great with my brother and me. I'm happy to report now they're fantastic. I love my brother and his wife and eight children uh, up in Buffalo, New York. Um, But it didn't start off really as a very positive story. My brother didn't want his younger brother being a whole lot like him. Uh, Let me tell you, he wanted me nothing like him. He made it clear he didn't want me to wear what he wore. He didn't want me to like what he liked. He didn't want me to do what he did. And if I did any of those terrible sins... I usually paid a price. Well, although we had some good times and although we had some fellowship, uh, our sibling rivalry boiled to a head when I was 16 years old. My brother, about 20 years old, came home one day from school. He was there and we got into a knockdown, drag out argument that would lead to fisticuffs. Well, At least we fought, and we fought over what was important. The argument that led us to blows uh, was this. We argued over whose friend was smarter. (laughs) We're not smart enough to argue over who we are smarter, you know. Let's argue over our friends. He had Randy Brown. Randy Brown uh, was a notorious drug addict uh, and knew a lot of different drugs. And my brother made a pretty sound argument that that man stayed high his entire high school career and yet got straight A's. I countered with Tony DiOrio. Tony DiOrio played three sports and was the lead in the play, and he got straight A's. We couldn't come to a consensus, and so we fought. 
I got the first blow in. I'm about four inches taller than my brother. I hit him and belted him right in the chops with all I had, splitting open his lips, knocking his glasses across the room and buckling his knee. But to my chagrin, he stayed standing. I watched my brother, blind as a bat now, who couldn't see without his glasses, bleeding from his mouth after I just gave him all I had. I couldn't hit him again. So I covered up while he beat me senseless for a few minutes, producing a shiner in both eyes. And at that point, I thought, well, let's have this stop. I'll tackle him. So I went, I grabbed my brother. Uh, as we were being, uh, as I was taking him to the ground, somehow we came across the family deacon bench, snapped the arm off an antique deacon bench. And to today, I don't know what happened to the laws of physics or what happened into our house, but somehow, as we fell into the kitchen, there was my brother. I want to tell you, he was on the bottom. And somehow my mother had found her way like a hockey referee in the middle of us. And in between us is I had his hair and he had my hair as we had now become little girls <laughs> screaming at each other. The last time we fought. Really, in a lot of ways, changed our relationship. But I'll, I'll never forget after the fight. I'll never forget looking at my hands covered in my brother's blood. And I couldn't wait to get his blood off my hands. Because one of the most horrific feelings that I ever had in my life was my brother's blood on my hands. And it was communicating to me how stupid I am and how hateful I've been and how sinful I am to do what I had just done with my brother. In Genesis 4, we're going to find sibling rivalry and where this all began. In Genesis 4, we're going to see a fight that has taken place between true brothers. But listen, you got to get this. This is more than sibling rivalry. Listen, this is more than just two brothers who can't get along. This is an epic battle that is about to unfold that we will see run its course through the entire scriptures. Did you hear what I just said? I mean, these two are going to fight and they are going to actually represent a major theme of the Bible because Cain and Abel represent two seeds in the Bible, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Now, for some of you who haven't been with us through Genesis, it may sound very peculiar to you, but if you look back to Genesis 3, And in Genesis 3 is the most important chapter in the Bible. Of all chapters are all important. But it's the fall of man. It's when man rebelled against holy God and was separated from him and driven out of his presence. But this amazing, gracious God, do you know him? This amazing, loving God still wouldn't give up on sinners like us. And in the middle of the chapter 3 in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, God makes a promise and God keeps his word. And God promises that there will be a Savior who will come, who will put to death death, and who will put to death the enmity that exists between sinners like us and a holy God. And the way he's going to do it is through a seed. It's going to be through a seed of a woman. And the Bible unfolds and you will see The genealogies, the story of the Bible of that seed, follow the seed of the woman, 
through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob. And eventually that seed will have a name and his name is Jesus. But there'll also be another seed, the seed called the seed of serpent. That'd be the seed of sin. And so when we see happening with Cain and Abel in the very first uh, sibling rivalry in Genesis 4 is the story. It's this epic battle between good and evil. Between the seed of promise, the woman, and the seed of the serpent. In this story, we, need to, we will see three things. There's three things I want to point out to you. And the first one is this. Both Cain and Abel will bring an offering to the Lord. What their offering reveals. We'll see an offering that reveals. We'll see what it reveals about their heart. The second thing we'll see in this passage is blood that speaks. The blood that speaks. What does Abel's blood actually communicate? And is there any hope? And lastly, we'll see what names identify. What the name of Cain really means. And what kind of life and city he's building. And what kind of name Abel points to. And what kind of city we're to build because of it. So we're going to turn to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 4. It was written by a man named Moses for God's people as they were in the desert heading to the promised land. But because God breathed his very being upon Moses, amazingly he wrote God's words in his own pen and own style. But here's the beauty and the reality. This ancient story is for you. This is a living, true story of events that happened long ago, but God doesn't want you to just hear this story as a story. The Bible is written for you to intersect with it in a way that's, where does my life unfold? What is he revealing to me? So let's read this together. I'll read it aloud. You can read silently. We're going to look at Genesis 4, 1 through 17, 25 and 26. Hear God's word. Now, Adam knew Eve, and that's the biblical term, knew. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man, which sounds a lot like in Hebrew, the word gotten and Cain sound alike. I have gotten a man with the help of God. And again, she bore his brother Abel, that kind of might mean vapor or mist or breath, which probably foreshadows his life. Now, Abel was a keeper of a sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. I mean, picture a lion, a hungry lion, ready to devour whatever opens up that door to tear it apart. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and in some ancient manuscripts it says he called him out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. There's no repentance there, just concern for himself. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground and from your face. I I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, which means wandering, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city, uh, the name of his son, Enoch. Verse 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth was also born a, 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 born a son, and he called his name Enish. At that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, I humbly call upon the name of the Lord. I call upon your name, the name that is every, above every name, to come and be heard. Be heard through a broken, sinful man like me. Not for my glory, but for yours. Oh God, come. Come and call to us your name. Give us ears to hear your voice. God, give us minds to understand your word. Father, give us hearts by your grace and for your glory. Give us hearts that are soft for you and believe in who you are and what you've done. And God, would you come and be with us so tangibly? Would your presence be here so clearly that as you are with us and as your word is open and as your truth is proclaimed, your spirit is making us more like our Savior, your Son, Jesus. So that when we walk out of here, we will walk out of here with newness of life and we will walk out of here in obedience to you as our King, you will cause our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the name that right now we're calling upon, the name of Jesus. And it's in that precious name we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see is this, is an offering that reveals, an offering that, that reveals both Cain and Abel uh, somehow at some time are going to bring to the Lord, I don't know how this is actually done, an offering But as they bring to the Lord an offering, it's going to really reveal their hearts. And what we have to see is this. Because Cain's heart wasn't right with God, his sacrifice wasn't accepted either. 
See, the problem wasn't in Cain's offering. The problem was Cain's heart. His offering did nothing else other than reveal the condition of his heart. A close look at the scripture says this. Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And what it's implying clearly is this. Cain brought God leftovers. He brought God that which he probably couldn't sell in the market and that which he didn't want himself. And so what he brought to God was just leftovers. Token. But Abel was different. Abel, it says, he gave the first fruits. He gave the fat of, of, of his offering. He gave his very best. And in that reality, really, their offerings reflect their hearts. It reflected their disposition. If you look at this closely, it's very interesting because it says this. It says that God had favor on Abel in verse 4 first and on his offering. So the favor starts not with the offering. The favor starts with the person. So we got to ask, and what you should be asking right now is why? Why? Why did God have favor on Abel and not have favor on Cain? Well, this is where we sit right now in what we call redemptive history with the amazing blessing of having all of God's word. Because as we look closer to God's word, we're going to see why God had a favor on Abel. Look, look, look with me to your Bibles. Turn with me your Bibles to Hebrews, the very back of the Bible. We're going to look at Hebrews 11, which is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. That's going to list the Old Testament heroes and by the faith they had in God. And listen to what it says in Hebrews 11, 4. It says this. By faith, by faith, Abel offered to God, God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which, that's by faith, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Well, God had favor on Abel, not Cain, because he gave his gift by faith. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I mean, this is Genesis 4. I mean, this is, this is years and years and, and, and centuries and thousands of years before Jesus. So the question you should be asking is, by faith in what? I mean, what did Abel have faith in that, that made him righteous? That made him acceptable to God. I got goosebumps about ready to tell you this. It's so exciting. The reality is he had faith in God's promise. He had faith that God would provide what he said he would provide. He went to and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, having faith in what was said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. That God is going to provide what God requires God provides. That a Savior will come. That Abel doesn't have to provide a gift to try to manipulate God or earn God's favor. That Abel could come into holy God's presence. Loved, accepted, a child by God's grace through faith. He came. 
What an amazing difference by faith he gave. Let's look a little closer of the the how, the what, and the why of the offering because it reveals so much. How? Well, we just made the point. Scripture says that, that Abel gave to the Lord in faith that the Lord would provide. Cain gave in works. I mean, Cain gave to, to try to manipulate God, to put him in his back pocket. I mean, God, Cain gave to try to maybe have God owe him a little bit, you know? Cain gave a little something, so God owed him a little something. Cain gave to try to maybe appease God. And Cain gave that maybe his standing could be okay with God through the junk he just gave God. Are you kidding me? This is holy God. What he gave reveals his heart. Cain didn't have faith in what God would provide. The what? Cain gave some crops. What did Abel give? You see, when you give by faith, when you know that God has provided all he requires, when you know what God's love is for you, you give your first fruits. You give the fat of the offering. You give your best because God has given you his best. That's the what. And the why. Again, the why, why did Cain give? Well, he tried to appease God. He knew there was a God. He knew he owed him something. But just give him leftovers. Try to manipulate God. Abel gave to thank God. That was his heart. I'm giving you thanks. I want to give you thanks by faith. I want to give you my absolute best. Here's the point. You can't miss it. It's dangerous to give God a token. Did you hear that? It's dangerous to give God a token. I know this is going to sound radical, and maybe not. you don't hear preachers talk this way very often. But please, when it comes to giving God something, if you are not in right relationship with him, if you don't have your faith in him, don't give anything. Don't. It's dangerous. Because when we give without a faith, we think that we've earned. We think that we've manipulated. It's not true. It is dangerous for us to give to God apart from relationship with God. Because we're going to point to the gift and say, that's where we get our worth from. This is holy God. We can't give him anything to earn his favor. We give him rubbish. We can't give him anything that he doesn't already own. We can't give him anything he needs. We can't give him anything to appease our brokenness and our sinfulness. And we don't have to. Don't give God a token. Give God your life. Give God your faith, your trust. What he's required, he'll provide. This is what it means to give by faith. Here's the reality. I have received the greatest treasure in Christ Jesus. I have received God's son as my savior. I've received God's best. So therefore, what I have received, I've gotten everything I'm going to give. I'm a part of the greatest mission. I mean, God has not only called me to himself, but now he's called me to tell his story. I'm a part of the greatest mission there ever was to tell of the love of a God who is to a world who desperately needs it. I will give my life. I don't give some of the fruit of my labor. I give the best of my work. How is it with you? I don't give to try to appease God. I give because God has already been appeased through his son. Isn't that good news? All of God's justice has been met in Christ Jesus. I give, we should give, because we have, by God's grace, through faith, received everything for life and life abundantly. Token offerings given as an obligation, not out of love. That's Cain. 
Token offerings, giving as religious duty. That's Cain. I got to do this. There's a God. I got to do my duty. Not faith. Don't give God a token. We got to realize this. Like with Cain, it's true with us. Our works or our deeds will never be accepted to God apart from our hearts being right with God. Did you hear that? Our deeds, our works will never be accepted by God apart from a right relationship with God through his grace and faith. But good news, if you have faith in that seed to come named Jesus, you are loved and you are accepted and you are beloved. And all you do, all you give, the smallest little thing, he receives with gladness and joy. An offering that reveals a heart. Where's yours? Second thing is this, a blood that speaks. Because Abel's blood speaks, Cain's sin can't be covered up. I mean, here's Cain calling his brother. I would imagine I would have loved being Abel. Come out in the field with me, brother. Man, all right, finally, maybe we're going to patch things up. And Cain draws him out to kill him. Do you know why Cain killed him? I mean, well, Jeff, it's, it's obvious he hated his brother. Well, yeah, he does. But you know who else Cain hated? You know he hated God, right? I mean, his problem was God. I mean, God didn't accept his offering. I don't know how, don't know what that looked like. But God didn't accept it. And what happened? His face fell. I mean, he was, he was ticked at God. He was daggum ticked at God. He hated God. And although he couldn't kill God, he's going to kill God's image. He thinks the best way to mess with God is to mess with us. So God graciously, and listen, you can't read chapter 4 and not see how amazingly gracious God is to sinners. And you can't read verse chapter 4 and not know that God has no delight in the death of the wicked. None. He so graciously deals with Cain. It's amazing. And he asks him a question. Hey, bro, where's your brother? And Cain says, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? Can you believe the sinfulness and the arrogance? No, Cain, you're not your brother's keeper. You are your brother's murderer. And you know what? His blood that you spilled, it's calling to me. I love this. In the Hebrew, the blood is in the plural. And it's basically saying this. The blood is in the plural because he's saying everything that Abel was, everything that he could be, all of his hopes, his dreams, his posterity, it's all gone. You've killed it all. His blood's, it's crying to me. And you know what's crying to me? It's crying for justice. It's crying for vengeance. It's crying to say, make things right. Look what you've done. It's amazing. He says this. He says, Cain, you're cursed. Man, Adam and Eve sinned. He cursed the ground. Now because of taking a man's life, Cain himself is cursed. That's who we are apart from Christ. You see, outside of Christ, we too are Cain. Do you know that? Outside of Christ, our blood cries out saying, guilty, 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 just like my brother's blood cried out of my hands. By our nature, uh, we are an enmity toward God. I mean, we naturally are in a uh, disunion, uh, an argument. We ultimately have a sibling rivalry by nature with God because we're fallen. And we too deserve to be cursed by a holy God because you know what? He's holy and sinless and we've messed it up. There's hope. There's news that's good. No, no, no. There's news that's really, really good. Our hope is in Jesus. 
The one who is greater than Abel. You see, what the Bible often does, it will show us someone like Abel, and it really will be a type of Christ. Listen to this type of Christ. You ready for this? Abel, what did he do? He was a shepherd. Guess what? Is there a guy coming who's going to be a shepherd? His name's Jesus. Abel, a guy who was killed by his brother because he's angry with him because of his righteousness. Does it sound like anybody you know named Jesus? I mean, it's, it's Jesus who will spill his own blood at the hands of his sinful brother. But like Abel's blood, Jesus' blood too speaks. And here's the great news. It speaks a better word. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12. We were just in 11. Let's go to Hebrews 12. I'll pick up in verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, his sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. All right, here's what we want to ask. What is the better word that Jesus' blood speaks than Abel's blood? You can't miss this. You see, Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross does too, as well as Abel's, cries for justice. It cries for justice. But God took him who knew no sin to become your sin and my sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Christ's blood was shed. You ready for this? So that the righteous demands of a holy God could be fully met. And now today in Christ Jesus, we owe Christ's justice, God's justice, nothing. Nothing. Did you hear that? If you're in Christ Jesus, you owe nothing to God's justice because his son's sacrifice, his righteous life, his atoning death, his resurrection was sufficient for all of your sins. His blood speaks justice, but it speaks more. It speaks grace. It speaks mercy. It speaks peace. It speaks pardon. My life is filled with the brokenness in my own life that is crying to the Lord saying, guilty is charged, your honor. Guilty, broken, sinful. But there's one's blood who's been shed for us that speaks a better word. Justice met. Mercy received. And that's the blood that's covering us that speaks a better word than that of Abel, the blood that makes us clean. How is it with you right now with your hands? Are they representing your own sinfulness, your own bloody, filthy lives? Is your life right now crying out to God? Or is Christ's blood upon you crying mercy, justice restored and met? A blood that speaks. And lastly, a name that identifies. Cain, in verse 17, he knew his wife and he had a child and he named him Enoch. And you got to look closely. And you see what he did? He goes and he's a wanderer. He's a fugitive. He's away from God. He's going to build a life away from God. He's going to build a refuge away from God. He's going to wander away from God. He's going to build a city apart from God. And he's going to name that city after himself. And he's going to name that city after his own son. It's the city of man. Augustine talked about it way back in the 300s. But the end of this chapter in verse 24 and 25, a boy named Seth was born and he too had a son named Enos. And they started to now call upon the name of the Lord. 
They now said that our lives should be about His life. Our reality should be lived for the glory of God. We are here for Him. We will build the city for God. We will live our lives for God, not the city of man. And therefore, they live their lives for His glory. Katie and I last Saturday went to a conference, uh, the Gospel Coalition Conference, and it was phenomenal. And, it was, you know, Tim Keller was there, and D.A. Carson was there, and John Piper was there. I mean, it was a who's who of, of phenomenal Christian speakers. And there's a guy named David Platt, and I read his book. His book's called Radical. And if you want to really get a little bit radical in your faith, and I hope you do, read it. I got to tell you, I didn't have the great expectations. I knew the other guys. I didn't know David as well. And, and he got up to speak. He's probably in his young 30s, middle 30s, and a kind of a slight athletic build. And, and he spoke about the glory of God. And he spoke about the name of Jesus being worthy to be worshipped by every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he talked, let me tell you, as he shared about the people who don't know Jesus in a personal relationship, humbly, he's on the verge of tears. And I sat and watched a man. I said, I don't know that kind of love yet. Uh, my heart is just not broken over the world the way his heart is broken over the world. And I mean, with great passion and enthusiasm and the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, he's like, we must build the city of God. I mean, we are a part, if we believe that the seed has come and restored us, if we believe this story, we got to tell the story. If it's true, we got to live it out. If it's true, there's people dying without it. we got to go tell them. I mean, it was just so good. I left that seminar and I went back and I just got on my knees and said, God, I am so much about the city of man. I want to be more about the city of God. Make my heart break for the things that break your heart. May I live for your glory. May my life be an offering that reveals the reality of what you've done for me. May the blood that speaks that covers me truly be my motivation. How is it with you? How is it with you? What city are you building? The city of man or the city of God? How is it with you? What blood covers you? Your own, your brothers, your neighbors, or Jesus's? How is it with you? What kind of offering are you giving to God? As we go to the Lord's table, Let me remind you that God himself gave an offering and it revealed the father's heart and the offering he gave was his son, the seed that was to come and through his brokenness we're healed. As you come to the table, remember there is a blood that speaks. Jesus' blood speaks better than Abel's. It speaks grace and mercy even today. Do you know it? Is it covering you? And Jesus came to say, I am the name above every name. Call upon my name and build my city for my glory. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us this amazing story of sibling rivalry. But God, it's so much more. It's so much more. It's the story, the true story of how your promise of a seed to come and the battle that he would have with Satan and death would unfold throughout all of time and all of Scripture. Jesus, I thank you 
that the hope that Abel had, the faith he had, was in you. He didn't know it completely the way we do. He just knew that you gave a promise, God, and you'd fulfill it. And in faith, he lived his life accordingly. God, I pray that as we give our tithes and offerings, that we never give you a token. We just give you our lives. I thank you that the blood that speaks is Jesus' blood. And it's such a better word than the words of my own blood. God, may this pastor, may this church be about the city of God and not the city of man. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.